Hello there, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. Today we're going to be talking about near-death experiences. You look around the world today, and people might say, oh, you know, there's a scientific consensus, you know, consciousness is strictly connected to the body, right? Well, actually, no. There's a well-documented phenomenon known as the near-death experience. So we'll be going a little X-Files on you today. Things get a little crazy. Um, leave some open-ended questions there more than have all the resolution we might want. But we'll be talking about that. And also, we'll be having a Bible study out of Mark chapter 1 that gives us insight into the motives of evil and the doctrines of demons, and also the importance of recognizing that time is a thing. The modern day and age, we're often kind of told to forget what was said on the news two weeks ago and forget that time is real. But time is a thing. And as we stay in our principles and we fight back evil, you got to know that. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I am Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor with Fox Mulder and Dr. Scully. <laughs> um, and I have fully become Fox Mulder. Amanda, have you become Scully? I hope so. <laughs> Um, Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your many blessings. We are thankful for this blessing in particular of coming together and having a conversation about the world around us. Be with us, those of us who are here in the studio, those who are watching, and uh, all of us as we participate in the life of your kingdom. We ask these things in your name. Amen. 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 And hopefully we won't have any more streaming issues with crazy internet stuff. But anyways, we're going to open up with a little bit of lighthearted material. Again, this whole program is meant to be a little bit more lighthearted and fun, but also substantive and meaningful. We're going to open up by looking at unholiness today. And we're going to return to some artwork that was done by some kids, and then adults took the children's artwork and made it real. So in case anyone out there was disturbed by scorpions, you know, that weird version of the arachnid, here hopefully is a more peaceful version of the scorpion. I know Amanda noted its smile. Oh, yeah. That, that smile. Um, next we have, I believe, a puffin? We think so. We think it's a puffin. Yeah, that's wonderful, wonderful art. This, this is... And here we have the hummingbird. Hmm. Uh, what hmm. do we think is missing from the hummingbird here? Because I know a smaller beak. A smaller <laughs> beak. Uh, I don't know. I, d I think a dangerous it's missing hummingbird. A folding chair. A folding chair. Because <laughs> if you want to see WWE or WWF Raw, if you want to see Monday Night Raw, go watch hummingbirds at a hummingbird feeder. Um, <laughs> that is true. Yes. And next we have one that I believe Amanda, in her great research, has concluded this is a pigeon. Oh, yeah, I just noted maybe it's coloring made it a pigeon, but it's got like six limbs or, I don't know, maybe eight? Well, I can't well, quite keep track of the count. Pigeons are known for being, <laughs> you know, eight-limbed creatures with that many appendages. And here we have the true inspiration for the new Mustang Mach-E, the electric <laughs> Mustang crossover. And finally, we have this strange cat, because these pictures are just great, right? Yes. Yes, they are. Well, anyways, back to some more <laughs> talking-based things, because we are a bit of a talky program. And I know some of you listen on the audio only. Well, let's talk about some propositions. These are not propositions that I have written. Some of these were wrote by um, others here in the studio, but not myself. And some of the others were sent via the Internet. And, in fact, some of these were sent quite shortly as we've begun this program. So let's jump right into this. The first one we have, and how buy, sell, or hold works, is if you buy it, you agree with it, you sell it, you don't. And if you're holding, which you only get one hold per episode, then you are just reserving judgment. So number one says, 
the proverbial church mouse has reportedly been willing to break its silence if potluck doesn't return soon. <laughs> Amanda, buy, sell, a hold. I'll buy it. I also think it's funny in the sentence, it's if potluck versus not if a potluck or the potluck. I don't know what it, what takes, what it means by taking that article out, but it, it adds some, some significance. But yes, I'll buy this pro- proposition. It, it, it makes potluck an activity. Uh, like you might say, like, if church doesn't return, because like you're not referring to a building at that state, you're kind of referring to the, the activity in life of the church. Potluck is an activity and uh, a lifestyle for some people. <laughs> and for some mice. Yeah, and for some mice. And we I'll do buy that. I'll buy yeah, it as well. We have the mouse here. I'm going to sell. I'm, I'm not going to make any rulings on potluck, but as far as the mouse goes, yes, sell. Sell the mouse. Uh, selling the mouse. <laughs> the mouse needs to be gone. Number two, dogs are more confused by the sight of people wearing masks than other dogs wearing muzzles. Um, I don't know. My my dog doesn't seem too fairly concerned either way. Um, he can tell when we're going some places or when he gets to go some places or if he's le- being left behind. But if it's not kind of those things, he doesn't really care. So at least for my dog, I'll have to sell that. Okay. Yeah, you know, I'm going to sell because I think dogs are just weirded out. They care under be they're just confused on what do, what needs to happen here. Is there one for me coming? So I'm going to sell. Uh, I'm going to buy it because my dog count would never permit something like this. He is very observant about what people wear. And if you put on like a coat like I've got on now, he knows it's time for me to be leaving for a while. And he gets very upset about that. So I'm going to buy. Uh, Next we have shooting fireworks is more enjoyable than watching fireworks. Yeah, I could buy that. I don't really enjoy either. So but I I can see most people enjoying one over the other. other. Blasphemy. (laughs) Well, I think this year. Uh, is there's definitely I'll have to buy that because you've seen a lot of people so many oh no 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 no. yeah hundreds yeah so many more people have been shooting them recently and also like a week before and a week after July 4th and and hey they were getting started really early on July 4th night Um, next up we have drone travel will be more affordable in a normal part of culture within 15 years so this is people traveling on drones is how we're interpreting this all right yeah, I think I'm going to sell that. I think the technology is definitely going there. But, you know, we've talked for decades about the uh, self-driving car and it really hasn't taken off like we thought it was. So I'm not sure drones is going to go much further either. Because, I mean, it's like a self-driving car, but now up in the air. So yeah. I don't see people being too happy about that anytime soon. I'm going to buy. You're going to buy? buy? Yeah, I, I think people have aspired to uh, to fly their own vehicle. And I think technology is is rapidly going there. I mean, the technology is already there, but I think it would be affordable. I'm selling. We don't have an aspirational culture right now, and I don't see the infrastructure for it, and I don't see a righteous challenge to things around to pursue in a a more aspirational way, so I'm selling. Um, Next we have, Rototiller Racing is more enjoyable than roller derby, and in case you're not familiar with Rototiller Racing, this amazing sport. (laughs) We've got a little bit of footage here. Um, Brit Clip has provided this on YouTube, and we've pulled it over with for right now. And yeah, this is just amazing. Um, Roto Tillers powered up. It basically is like drag racing, but with Roto Tillers. And these are not just your slow. And yeah, this dude just totally wrecked on his. This this is amazing. This is absolutely. This this is perfection. Do, do any of those have a speedometer on it? I mean, it's no. like a foot touches every now and then. No. Um, yeah, um, and, and, and you know, I don't, can you do you insure? I mean, if you have insurance, like, I, there's got to be some accidents where somebody went to the ER. There. Oh, yeah, I guess you just oh, yeah, really this is this is insurance. awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
I like this. this I don't is think awesome. you can get rotor tiller insurance. Yeah. I hope so. Amanda, are you buying or selling this? I'm going to have to hold. I've never actually seen either of these sports in person, so I don't know how to evaluate it, so I'm just going to go with hold. I'm going to go with hold because I have watched them both, and I think they're very, very, very much in entertaining and enjoyable. I'm going to buy that Rototiller is above the roller derby because I think all the elements that would make roller derby uniquely entertaining are also present at the Rototiller racing. When you see the crowds that show up to this, you uh, and I know the clip that we had there <laughs> didn't do justice to Rototiller racing. This gets a lot better than that. But. You know, I think in general there's, there's a movement of enjoyable when sports are still at that level where there's a lot of uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a professional sport, but it's still a lot of people with their heart and soul and what yeah. they're doing. And you see that in both and of it's, these. It's not like NASCAR where things have been refined to the point where really every car is identical. Nobody's actually driving a Ford Fusion out there or a Ford Mustang. It's it's kind of the same thing yeah. as everything else. There's a little bit of this that actually has some unique talent put into it. And, of course, I don't think any of these tillers are really going to any garden. But there's still an <laughs> element that this is not dominated by an institution and or or sponsors or anything like that. And I may, maybe a little more in, in Robert Early ro, Roller Derby. But I think at the end of the day, the, these are tremendous athletes uh, enjoying what they do. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. awesome. All right, next we've got... I don't know if I can... Have, 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 I may be the first person to have ever called a rototiller racing driver... An athlete. An athlete. Oh, no. I, I would sell on that. <laughs> you I would, would sell, sell on that? big sell oh, on that. There's, no, no. There's yeah. a lot of them that think they're athletes. Athlete. <laughs> and rightfully so. Look, I'm not here to argue with that. I'm actually here to say, it? pack pack up the bags. We're going to Arkansas <laughs> right now. Would you pay to, to race one of them? I'm not saying somebody pay you. I'm saying, would you pay to to to, to race the rototiller? Oh gosh, that yes, would be the best yes, church fundraiser. Yes, ever. yeah. Oh yes, if this was. Oh yeah. Uh, no, of, of would course. you pay to see me race one of them? That might be the the the, the fundraiser. Yes, big time. Oh, I would big. do it. I would do it. I would say I would first hand my wife the the. Uh, insurance cards for the emergency room but i would say fire that bad boy up and put me behind it let's go yeah big time yeah all right so hopefully and, the- and i'll say put pastor amanda in the lane beside me and they're set up like drag racing too yeah yeah fun stuff okay well continuing on what we've got next is um people riding hoverboards produce more embarrassing moments than people riding rental schoolers I'm going to sell because, I mean, downtown Nashville is just, <laughs> it's fantastic sometimes to watch people try to navigate those things in the midst of Nashville traffic. I'll admit that I have had some embarrassing moments on a hoverboard, but I have seen way too many embarrassing moments for people downtown. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I'm, I'm selling on that. The... And just having a rental scooter may be embarrassing in and of itself. I mean, there's traffic, there's pedestrians, there's everything. They're a little bit motorized, so they can go pretty fast, too. So you've just got a lot of factors into the nonsense. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to be embarrassed by that. Um, just the principle of it is kind of embarrassing. All right, number seven, an unwrapped Babe Ruth candy bar has shut down more swimming pools than COVID-19. I would buy that, definitely. Yes, I'll buy yeah, I'll buy two, just because I don't want to give a win to Princeps Elector Corona. <laughs> Principles, people. 
Next up, we've got men over 40 should never wear skinny jeans. And we actually, with this one, we do have an image. Um, <laughs> men over 40 should, or men over 35 should not wear skinny jeans. Um, <laughs> you're lowering either, either, either way, after looking at that picture, <laughs> that is a buy. Amanda? That is a buy. I, I hate to tell people what to wear, but yeah. <laughs> the picture does it. Yeah, is that a is that a pug? Big big bot. No, no, it's in um. Or is it a Boston Terrier? I Not think it's a English. No, bulldog? it's a French bulldog. French bulldog. I don't know, French but bulldog. it's uh, it's sad. Their their owner who made that picture should be ashamed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much. Did, so. Would that is that dog embarrassed if he saw that picture? No, the dog. Would another dog feel sorry for him? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, next we've got temp scans will be common next month, and this is one that just came in through Facebook. Temp yeah. scans will be coming next month. I'll buy. Well, I would even say sooner, but I'll buy it. Mike, yes, I'm going to sell. Hmm. I this is driven by beliefs and ideologies more than it is by by facts. And this one is not displayed itself as arena, so I'm going to sell. Um, number ten, we will be told that if we put on masks, it'll all go away in six weeks. Uh, I'm going to sell. I think we have heard things recently that says if we wear a mask within four to six weeks, we can have this under control. But a lot of the the news is still saying that this is not this is not going away. Um, it's just about living uh, in the midst of it in the most healthy manner. So I don't. If anyone's saying this is going away, they they smoking something. So I'm gonna sell. Dad, I'm gonna buy just because it it doesn't have to be a fact. It just has to be. We want you to wear a mask. Yeah. And so I'll buy it. Uh, but I'm I'm with Pastor Man. It's not going away. And. I think we're having some live stream problems. Um, if anyone's watching this, we will re-upload this because we've got it saved to the computer. But anyways, back to the question at hand. I am buying this because people are already saying this, but I'm buying it for the same reasons that Amanda is selling it. Because we do not live in an era where truth is permitted in the public sphere, and we don't live in an age where integrity is permitted in the public sphere. And because of the rationale that Amanda used, I am saying our culture is so irrational. Mm. that for the same logical reason she had, I am saying the culture, pe there are people who will say this. And again, when you see how things have flip-flopped on this, you know, the Surgeon General actually put out a, a tweet in the end of February saying, masks do nothing outside the operating theater. Don't wear a mask. Save them for, for actual what they're really used for. And then see how the CDC, Dr. Fauci, they've taken a different position every few weeks. Um, yes. I think that you'll happily hear people say this because nobody's held accountable. They say whatever they want. So well, that's I, I'll say this. I think it'll be the statement to be made, and it will have uh, tremendous effects because a lot of people take it completely with as being completely valid. Yeah. All right. So let's get to our B segment. We're going to be talking about near-death experiences. So we will be back here in a moment. So we'll have that fun. That'll be a lot of interesting stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I said we were. We're having some technical difficulties here. Let's see if we can get it going. In our world, the common presumption is that consciousness originates with our brains and therefore is a strictly physical process. When our brain stops working, that's it, right? Well, actually, there is a large body of evidence collected in the hospital setting with medical professional oversight that documents consciousness that is not limited to the body. In other words, people who experience a sentient existence outside of their body are able to report something that happened while their body lacked signs of life. 
This is called a near-death experience, NDE, or a transphysical consciousness. And the evidence for this is held to a high standard of consistency and reliability. And if anywhere there are inaccuracies or gaps in the patient's experience, the evidence is considered false and discarded. Therefore, any evidence used to affirm a case of near-death experience must pass a very high threshold. So what is a near-death experience? We know there are cases where people return to life after undergoing clinical death while surrounded by medical professionals who document a total absence of signs of life. Sometimes, these people who were clinically dead and then returned to physical life report that they maintain consciousness during the time of clinical death during a time when they were documented to be without brain activity. Since this clinical death often happens in a hospital setting with professional medical oversight, thousands of these near-death experiences, or NDEs, have been sufficiently well-documented for scientific study. Moreover, there are several reoccurring elements worthy of examination. So what are these reoccurring elements of NDEs, and what are the standards used to verify them? There are three major consistent elements of near-death experiences, and the first of these is reliable data. The second is visual perception, and the third is a specific change in death anxiety after a patient has experienced the near-death experience. The first element is the, the need for reliable data. Patients must report precise details about the world during their documented time without brain activity that is 100% accurate and 100% unobtainable through the testimony of others. They must possess, possess knowledge that has not been shared with them. For example, a patient in a deep coma accurately told a nurse where she had placed his dentures during a resuscitation effort even giving a description of the cart where she had put them. One patient reported seeing a tennis shoe on the ledge with a worn-out left toe and a shoelace underneath the heel, which had probably been there from the time of the hospital's construction. It was found exactly as described. Every major study on NDEs has had this sort of evidence. The second element is visual perception. This is noteworthy because one study looked into blind people who reported NDEs. Both those blind from birth and those who had become blind reported visual perception during their NDE. While this has been reliably given, it has become one of the hardest elements to examine simply because those blind from birth have a difficult time articulating visual perception. The third element is a specific change in death anxiety. Being anxious about death is quite normal. But people who experience NDEs have a persistent change in their lives where they are no longer anxious about death. There are some other interesting themes commonly found in NDEs. Even if these themes are not used to measure whether or not the NDE was a reliable account. About 30% of people who experience NDEs encounter loved ones and others who have already passed on. It is also common for people to feel as if they are moving outside their body or passing through walls in the hospital and sometimes even being transported to a transphysical domain. It is here where the popularly known detail of moving through a tunnel and encountering a bright light comes into the conversation of NDEs. The medical professionals who document this phenomenon are not attempting to make a case that proves or disproves anything about the soul, heaven, or even hell but simply they are documenting a phenomenon observed in a contained environment. How 
common are near-death experiences? In 2014, scientists at Southampton University completed a four-year study of 2,060 patients who had suffered cardiac arrest in hospitals. 9% of the patients, about 185, reported a near-death experience. Some of them maintained visual awareness for several minutes, even though the brain shuts down beginning 30 seconds after cardiac arrest. The researchers verified the patient's accounts of what was going on in the operating room. A Dutch study in 2001 examined 344 cardiac patients in various Dutch hospitals and found that 18% of the patients experienced the NDE. It is worth restating that if there are any inaccuracies in a patient's reporting, then their entire account is counted as a negative. Alright, so there is an overview of NDEs, near-death experiences. Now again, let's throw the evidence out there and let you draw your own conclusions. Um, any thoughts on that before we wrap this up and move on to our Bible study? Uh, no, I don't have any particular thoughts other than like you said. It's, it's interesting and um, something to contemplate in how we understand, I guess, health and, and things like that. There, there will always be stuff we cannot explain to the end of a, of a pencil point. Yep. You know, I think uh, in the research that we were doing, I think there's another uh, example there where even um, uh, regardless of who and what age, but even uh, I think it's just part of the human nature to be really have uh, a concern or an anxiety about death. And and one of the common denominators among all of these, including the children, was that they no longer had this anxiety and great fear of death. Yeah, and so I, I I don't know you know what all's going on there, but there is a, tre- a tremendous evidence for the soul, something that we've known for for really years, as the way our Bible teaches us. And yeah, it is uh, fascinating. But uh, it is it is good to see uh, someone you know collecting and doing research and data to let us see the evidence. Sure. And on that note, we'll be back here for our third segment, and hopefully everything will run smoothly. Crazy internet stuff going on, and of course, one can only push so many buttons at once, but we'll be back to have a Bible study on the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1. We're going to be learning a little bit about how we say no and how we pay attention to time. All right, so thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos. We are a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And we do come together for this Friday program to hopefully stimulate your nerves a little bit, take you to the edge of your chair, to contemplate some things that are a little bit beyond what our normal conversations might be, whether it be near-death experiences or, last week, talking a little bit about ghosts. But in all seriousness, if you enjoy our content, one of the best things you can do to help us out is to click on the share button. Just sharing it with your friends can do so much. It really does help us out a lot. So let's get into our Bible study. We're going to be talking about Mark chapter 1 verses 21 through 27. And we're going to be learning a little bit about how Jesus fights back evil and he does it on principles, not on technicalities. And this is a very important thing for where we're at in the world because 
we do have a lot of spiritual warfare going on in our world right now. And the only way that you can push back on that is if you, you stand up for principles. You have clear understanding of, of what you are doing and where you are going. So let's jump right into this. Um, Pastor Mike, can I have you read this text for us out of Mark chapter 1? Absolutely. Uh, Mark chapter 1, 21 through 27. Be attentive. They went to Capernaum, and when, they, when the Sabbath came, he entered into the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with me, with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching? With authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. All right. Thank you, Pastor Mike. So one of the things that we find here in this text is that Jesus, he casts out these evil demons quickly. He doesn't spin around and say, well, let's wait to see what their fruits are, and then we'll know if they're good or bad. Jesus recognizes them immediately. And also, it's worth noting, if I can speak correctly, that the demons, they recognize him immediately. Mm-hmm. And so jumping into our conversation, I kind of want to open up with this question. Oftentimes in life, we do find that whenever there is something new, that righteous people, sometimes they take a while to observe what's really going on, where evil people, regardless of whether or not they see exactly what the new phenomenon is, they do see how they're going to capitalize on this situation. They understand their evil doctrines, the doctrines of demons that they're operating on. But a lot of times the people, say the those in the region of Capernaum, they kind of are watching by at this a little bit unsure of what's happening. And if you read on towards the, the end of this chapter, those who are in this town, they're not sure exactly who Jesus is. They kind of ask questions, you know, is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Where's this authority come from? They recognize that he's not one of the scribes. But of the three parties that you find here, the three views on this situation, you've got Jesus himself, then you've got those in the region of Capernaum, and then you've got the demons. Mm-hmm. Jesus sees clearly what's going on, and the demons see clearly what's going on, but the people in Capernaum, they have some uncertainty. It takes them a while to kind of grasp things. What do y'all think about that? I'll just open up the floor on that, because that is something which we do find in the world, and I'll just let y'all share your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there definitely is a need to kind of hold back and evaluate a situation before jumping into it. But at the same time, demon possession is not a completely new, was not a completely new phenomenon for those in the first century. And so you would think that there would have been a um, quicker response to all this. I mean, and obviously, because this, this man, I think, was brought to Jesus. And we see this throughout the biblical narrative in Jesus' ministry. People bring uh, evil spirits to him or people possessed by evil spirits to be cleansed. And so there is this recognition somehow, even though they don't realize how to deal with it, there's a recognition that Jesus knows how to deal with it. Yeah. But it does seem odd that as it, and we hear this again throughout the story of Jesus, um, for three years, we believe, he says basically the same message over and over again. And even at the end of these three years, as he's going to the cross, the people are still like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> it, it 
it, it seems interesting to me, and also I think we can put ourselves into this and not just fuss at the ancient uh, Jewish people, but find ourselves in that crowd sure. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Where we've kind of like, we've had now 2,000 years of Christian tradition and we're still going, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Mike? You, you know, it is uh, extremely important that the, 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 the demons, you know, they say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And yet there are the folks there still probably trying to struggle. Who is this Jesus? Is he a prophet? We, mm-hmm. You know, we see the things that he's doing. And just as Pastor Amanda said, you know, we, we, we've got clergy, I think. Uh, I know we have clergy who really don't know who Jesus is. That yeah. seems like evil knows more about what God is. The, 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 that is a very interesting. But Jesus immediately recognizes the evil and says, out. Yeah. And just because you know, and I mean, you could take some of these phrases that the that the demon is using, and and out of context, you can say, well, this is a very good statement. Yeah. No. Uh, you, you and I could. think that is yeah. the wolf in sheep's clothing there. Sure. And another thing about this is Jesus, he does not make the technical argument for why the demons have to leave. Again, they're in a synagogue. A lot of times we get these Hollywood tropes that say, you know, the vampires, they can't come in the church grounds, you know, the ghouls, the goblins, they have to stay outside the churchyard. But scripture shows us that no, the demons rolled up into synagogue like they were just going to attend, like it was a normal <laughs> Sabbath. They, they roll up in there and you find this story in versions of it. Again, this is not the only time Jesus has an encounter like this. You find this happen perpetually through the gospels. But what is so fascinating about this is Jesus immediately, he casts it out and he does it based on principles. He doesn't make this technical argument that says, you know, well, our insurance policy doesn't cover demons. So you got to leave. <laughs> not he making a legalistic matter. Yeah, it's it, not a legalistic matter. He doesn't make some argument that says, you know, well, if the Gentiles aren't allowed at a certain place in the temple, you know, they've got their courtyard. Well, I don't think demons should be in the synagogue. He doesn't make some bureaucratic argument like that. Instead, he basically just rolls in and says, out, leave. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think, you know, when he says out, I think it and, – and what happens here is also um, – it provides a testimony for those who are there and, and witnessing this, and you know, and they're they're saying, "Wow, he is teaching. What is this? Sure. This is this is sometimes he even commands unclean spirits, and yep. they have to obey him." Yep. And truly, we see that you know that they are having a testimony by by watching this and by Jesus not waiting around or not doing you know by, by taking action and taking it immediately yeah. God is using that for testimony yeah mm-hmm. well and I think also we have to keep in mind what te- what principles are and what technicalities are yeah and there is a time for technicalities so to speak yep. and how we're using it there are times for structures and yep. boundary lines and understanding a then b then c Sure. All that it can be important, but we also then understand that they speak to something bigger. Yeah. Um, I know recently I had, a, I had a conversation with one of my congregants about, well, why do we come to church on Sunday and also Wednesday? Could you just come to church on Wednesday? If you're part of the body of Christ, why do you come to all these different events? And, you know, then we got into a conversation, why do we even meet on Sundays? Why do we meet, you know, on that day versus Saturday? Uh, and so those principles are in place to help guide us and give us direction but if we make them the sacred uh cow we've missed the point 
And I think this, and the, Jesus gets in trouble a lot about healing people on the Sabbath. Yeah. And you would think healing people on the Sabbath would be the pinnacle of um, the reason yeah. <laughs> for for Sabbath sure. uh, would be the fulfillment of the yep. law, and yet it's not. And yeah. and I think that's what Jesus is trying to say in this action and other actions is real evil is not necessarily whether or not you follow the rules. Now, we don't do away with the rules, but yeah. real evil is your heart and what yeah. you are trying to do uh, with the rules. Yeah, and to your point there, that is that is the true fulfillment of the law when you cast things out on the Sabbath. But the people, the the experts, the scholars, the scribes, they were the ones who just couldn't couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, and another example of this, when you go to the book of Daniel, chapter six, I know I talk about this story all the time, but it's it's a great illustration for this. With King Darius, he has this scam that's pulled right in front of his eyes, where they make up this terrible law to throw Daniel in the lion's den. Now, a lot of times we think of lawlessness being somebody who just is a criminal. They're, you know, they want to rob a bank. They want to be the highway, you know, drifter, whatever. But in truth, the scammers, the conspirators there in the book of Daniel, they are the lawless ones. They have abused the law. They are the lawless ones. And the power of the law can't hold them at bay. And you find that in the story. It takes something deeper. In this chapter here, the technicalities have no power over these demons. Technicalities, they can be good and they can help you. They can help facilitate life at a lot smoother rate. But when it comes to something that is of the magnitude of an unclean spirit that has rolled into your synagogue Mm -hmm. to have service with you, your technicalities, your, you know, our board meeting (laughs) secretary's diary has no power over that thing. When it has gotten to the magnitude of the unclean spirit has rolled in and asking questions like anybody else would like, hey, teacher of the law, what you going to do with me? You know, when when the demons have rolled in there to that magnitude, your your technical interest has no power over that. And we're really at a place now where the the corruption, the spiritual warfare in our nation is is not really hold. You can't hold it accountable to civil means and technical means. Pastor Mike, you know, I think as you know, we often think, well, evil being something hideous and everything, but you know, one of the things that evil always does is manipulate, and sure. not uh, you know, he's not just. You know, manipulation is one of his greatest, you know, weapons against. And, and you know, wherever you might see this and understand that manipulation is, is, is an evil thing. It, it, in fact, if we look at idolatry, it's, it's about manipulating a god, and yep. we see evil involved in that. But manipulation is not a good thing, and it can happen in a synagogue or a place of worship. Our can, church. It can infect anything. Any, it can be. There's infected. nowhere that it's off limits to it, mm-hmm. really. Well, and I think especially before the people of God, and we do see, you know, the, the congregation in the synagogue's response, like, oh, he speaks with authority, unlike our our leaders. So they were already <laughs> yeah. recognizing something. Something's well, amiss. Yeah. And not, yeah, so something's amiss with our leaders, and something is spectacularly different about this new rabbi. Um, yep. And it's fascinating, I think, for us even today to hear this as a warning for those of us who are part of the people of God, who, who go to church every time the doors are open, who know all the traditions and all the technicalities. And, you know, we can quote the Apostles' Creed frontwards and backwards. We may even know some Greek and some Hebrew. Like, we have all this knowledge. And it can be so easy to start trusting in that knowledge. And it's specifically, um, again, the chink in our armor is 
this idolatry. It's this idea of manipulating it. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, uh, Screwtape's Letters, which is a phenomenal book to read. I think it's one of his harder uh, fictional books to read, um, but it's it's phenomenal. And that's what the the screw tape, who's the demon in charge, who's instructing this uh, demon who's trying to learn how to be a demon. He says, you're not going to get a Christian to stop being a Christian by giving them obvious temptation. What The way you're going to trip a true Christian up, a, heart, a heartfelt Christian up, is by making them focus on the picture of the wall. Specifically, he was talking about this kind of picture of Jesus. If you make them think that is their God versus actually following Jesus, that's how you're going to trip mm-hmm. them up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's powerful stuff. And one final thought as we wrap this up is time is real and time is essential. And I know that sounds like a strange thing for the preacher to to say or a preacher to say. And the reason why I point this out is in our modern day and age, we are taught to pretend as if time isn't real. And again, the scriptures say that God is slow to anger, not that he doesn't get angry. And by that, I mean, every moment is not the first of a new temptation, It's not the first of the chipping away of the foundation. And what you find that when evil gets a foothold, when evil evil gets a foothold and evil comes into your synagogue, you have to get it out immediately. Mm. Do not make the technical case that says, well, we need it to break one of the rules so somebody will get it out. Get it out on the principle. The principle. In our modern day and age, we're told to continue reading the same books, reading the same stories. And I'm not talking biblical books. I mean, like watching Mary Shelley's Frankenstein unfold to say that, well, maybe this time the monster won't be bad. No, the, <laughs> the book has been written. We know how the story ends. Time is a thing. It's especially true when it comes to the coronavirus. Time is a thing. We have history. There's no accountability when people do things that are wrong, when people teach things that are wrong, when people say things that are just outright lies, sophistry, when people do do manipulation, kind of like what you were talking there, manipulation within the church, there's no accountability. And it's like every day you wake up, time, it's, it's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> and, but time is real. And if you do not cast out evil, if you don't have an honest assessment of the world around you and take that principled stand that says, no, I know how this story ends. If I don't get you out of the synagogue, you're gone now. Bye. If you don't take that principled stand, then evil grows in its power until it, it gets to a point where it can consume everyone. Yeah. Well, um, and I, oh, sorry. I, I'm just thinking that's, I think that's one of the interesting things I've watched um, as the church has changed is we've encountered new technologies. You know, internet. Everyone has internet now. Um, everyone's on some kind of social media now. And I remember as a, a kid and young teenager, my parents freaking out because there was all these things coming out about, uh, at that time it was MySpace, not Facebook. You know, how do we keep people safe? And I think like what you're talking about, we have 2,000, well, more than 2,000 years of Christian tradition. We, we have the Old Testament as well. We, we have thousands of years of Christian tradition. And I think what trips us up is when these new technicalities, these new trappings, these new kind of surface level things come out, we get so consumed with trying to figure out how to use the tools, uh, we forget about addressing the deeper sense of it. We get confused, kind of use some of the language we've used before. We get so caught up in the mediums, we forgot about the primary expression. Absolutely. And, And so I think that's for the church. Again, we should take time to reflect on the technicalities. We definitely need to look and evaluate how we can use new tools and new technologies and different things like that. But those 
if we're going to do that, that conversation comes further downstream than the conversation about what our principles are, what our beliefs are, and the things that are unchangeable by time, culture, language, and technology. And I think we've gotten that so mixed up is why, and I think we were discussing earlier, uh, or Pastor Dylan and I were, about some issues in some various structures and and policies. Um, Is this, it's scary sometimes as a young minister because we've seen the church draw the wrong line in the sand where we've made it on a technicality and not on a principle that now when those lines get drawn, we get worried about whether or not this is really what we need to be doing. And so it's just, there's a lot of anxiety in all this because it calls us to focus and not just simply go with the flow or to ignore it. Yeah, and there's no righteous accountability when everything is technical. There's no holy aspiration. So anyway, (laughs) we'll end on that note. I know that's like a downer to leave on, but you know what? There's great hope. There's great assurance. Go read the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 10. It's a very scary chapter, but one that gives great assurance too. Read it all, all of Matthew 10. Um, any final thoughts as we wrap up? Predictions or anything like that? Oh no! Oh, I don't. I don't have clue. One. It, it, it seems like every time we try to make a prediction about anything, it just. I'm. Well, just, I was laughing again today about how in February when we were doing the podcast with Stanley Stinkup, and I'm like, ah, oh, this will pass in two weeks, a month at most, and then we got to like July or or uh, June, and everyone's like, oh, by August, everyone can have their summer vacation, and it's almost August. Like yeah. I just. You didn't have the right <laughs> prediction. When I first put the camera to you, those who were watching could see your eyes get big. That is the right prediction. <laughs> the big eyes. Just, oh, dear Lord, because that's all we've got. Let's yep. be honest. <laughs> the big swollen eyes. Mike? I have a prediction. Mm. And I'm not a prophet, but <laughs> and um, I am a preacher. But I will say this. With everything going on in the world and... I am not going to be surprised if we don't see a large natural disaster in the near future. Now that sounds so crazy, but no, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, we, we've seen so many disasters, and, and with whether it be the COVID, whether it be you know social unrest, whatever you want to call it, I, I think that maybe the 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 earth and all of nature is going to cry out too. I really do. So that's that's a prediction. I hope it doesn't happen, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to deliberately give a prediction that I hope doesn't happen, and that's with the whole Wayfair scandal. If you don't know what the Wayfair scandal is, find out what it is. The It's evil. Evil. It is evil beyond evil, and it has a lot to do with evil against children. I hope that that does not get swept under the rug, the whole thing with Ghislaine Maxwell, all this stuff. It's all connected that needs to be brought out and that is what the conversation needs to be about right now not about coronavirus that is evil it is a deeper evil than anything that is not is right now being talked about in the news so anyways let's close by saying the lord's prayer shall we yes. pastor mike will you lead us in the lord's prayer speak absolutely our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.